I'm Jay Pitts, a real estate broker, agent, leader, and investor. For the last decade, I've navigated the craziest of real estate markets this country has ever seen, selling over 2,000 homes, moving in and out of markets, always ahead of the curve. And now I'm bringing that perspective to you. This is your resource, and Real Talk About Real Estate starts right now. Welcome back, everybody. It's Resource. I'm Jay Pitts. I'm Gabe Pruitt. Well, Gabe, here we are again. Here we are once more. Once more, and we're going to talk about a topic that is near and dear to my heart. It's part of the reason we started this podcast. And honestly, it's part of the reason I'm in the real estate industry, and that is real estate investing. You probably remember if you've been with us for a while, we touched on this a little bit in a previous episode, uh, but I feel like it was more, you know, overarching ideas about real estate investing and what you should know if you're thinking about it seriously. Today, we want to get a little more detail-oriented. We want to talk to you if you're someone who's getting started and you need to know specific strategies, uh, and especially what to look for, what to have your eyes on in the market as a real estate investor. Am I I'm on the right track here? Absolutely. Absolutely. So in my mind, 101 is simply... The, you know it exists. <laughs> the knowledge that real estate investing is a half-decent idea. Yeah. Okay, depending on your circumstances. What is real estate investing? Yeah, 201 is kind of like what can come of it and why you should be interested. Mm-hmm. And Th- what it takes, really. What it takes. And that's what we, we talked about last time. 301 is strategy. So today we're going to talk, um, even at a high level, but we're going to get specific about strategies you should employ when considering your next move in real estate investing. Okay, so this kind of presumes that you've gotten your feet wet a little bit, that you understand what terms are like cash flow and what you know acquisition costs, and you have some basic knowledge of renovation or at least the fact that sometimes that needs to happen. Yeah. Um, it, it, you know the difference between buying property with the intent of reselling at a profit and what that looks like and what – buying property to hold and making rental income or a passive income stream looks like. So that's kind of what we're going to dive into today. Like I said, you know, here on the podcast, we can't, we can't get into granular, granular detail, but we do want to give you some more specifics. Yeah, absolutely. So Gabe, you ever bought a piece of investment property? I have not. Unfortunately, I would love to in the future, but I have not yet. Now, you have, but you haven't because you bought your own home. Okay, You're so a there you go. True. I own my home. You own a home, and that is an investment by definition. Sure. It actually would not be an investment if you talk to several real estate investment coaches, but that's just not true. So It's the uh, largest asset I own, so in that way, it's an It's investment. the largest asset you own. The argument from some would be that you don't intend... You didn't intend to buy you didn't buy it with the intent of turning a profit. No. You no. bought it with the intent of serving a need. I definitely had that on my radar, but it was not an investment purchase. No. It was not the sole reason you made the move. Yeah. Okay. So Gabe, when you bought your house, was I insistent on you looking for a good opportunity <laughs> for investment? So for all of our listeners that don't know, I have been an agent in Jay's office for a long time. And when I came to him letting him know, Jay, I'm getting ready to buy my own house. You were, I wouldn't even use the word insistent. If there's something more than insistent, Jay was emphatic that I turned this into an opportunity to buy my first investment property. And my poor wife, who had no idea what she was getting into, was dragged into many a home uh, with 
flooded basements, torn out <laughs> walls, like these horrible places. She has an idea of, of our first home in her head. And what we were seeing was, was not that. It was investment properties. And ultimately, unfortunately, we decided, not necessarily unfortunately because it worked out good for us, but we decided that we needed to get something that was a little more move-in ready and maybe make the next one an investment purchase. But I know that was your strategy and your hope for us. So the white picket fence was what she saw in her mind. Right. And we were seeing more like, you know, plaster and drywall on the floor (laughs) and old couches and roaches. That's what we were seeing. So. God bless her. Um, <laughs> she she comes in a line of many real estate wives that um, and husbands uh, that. No, I will say it scared me too. Some of the stuff, and I've I've seen a piece or two in my day of showing properties, but I saw a, a some quote that, unquote piece. It's different when you have to think about living there and sleeping there at night. You know, sure, sure. Well, so f- for our listeners, I mean, I think it's fair to say that you understand that I have a realist a lifetime real estate background, and it I would characterize it as being lucky that I was exposed to these things at a very young age. I don't know it any different. Sure. Never had the expectation to live in the perfect house. In fact, the house I live in now is as close to perfect as I've ever had. And to me, I feel like I overpaid. Really? Yeah. I paid $70,000 under list price. I've heard the story of you buying this house and I thought you got a killer, killer deal when you bought your house. I paid $70,000 under list price. Okay. I mean, that's pretty decent. But it wasn't good enough. Okay. Because the guy down the street got a better day. Whatever, whatever, <laughs> whatever. Okay, so let's talk specifics on real estate investing, game. We understand that there are essentially two very simple ways to buy real estate as an investment, quote unquote. Okay. You can buy with the intent on improving value or waiting for value improvement and then selling at a profit on your capital invested. Okay. Or you can buy rental property or property that you can lease out on a monthly daily. We talked about, you know, the Airbnb and the sharing economy as, as it's kind of affecting the real estate industry, but rental passive income producing real estate that is basically in it for the long haul and yeah, maybe long-term strategy. maybe a liquidation at some point, but there may not be. So what's right for you is really up to your goals. And I can't tell you that. I can't speak to that. I can speak to my goals. I can tell you this. I'm 35 years old. It is my goal by the time I turn 50. Okay. And and those that know me know that I'm subject to raise. I never lower them, but I always. Goals can change for the better. I've been known to raise them a time or two. But my current published goal, which means I'm considering making it harder to achieve. My current published (laughs) goal is to own 40 rental houses paid for completely no loans no loans by the time i turn 50 which that's, is 15 years from today so that's a tall order do you mind sharing your your progress so far no that? i don't mind at all so currently i own three pieces of rental property that have mortgages okay okay i own four pieces of rental property with no mortgage okay okay i own my own home which is not an investment in my mind, but I own four more rental properties in an LLC with my brother, who's a partner of mine. Okay. Okay. So, you know, in order to own 40, like in that partnership, I could only give myself credit for half of those. So the goal is to acquire two more pieces of property by the end of the year. I also own three pieces of uh, turn or flip property, if you will, two of which are currently under contract and scheduled to be closed in the next 30 days. One is under renovation. So 
specific goals and strategies, you know, it's up to you. Your strategy is set in motion based on your goal. Yeah. So my goal is to pay off 40 houses. I got to figure that based on modest appreciation of rents and modest price appreciation, by the time I turn 50, that's got to be worth some somewhere in the neighborhood of $40,000 a month. Okay. Nearing half a million dollars a year. And it's got to be worth about $100,000 per property at minimum, maybe more. Some of mine are more expensive than others. I've One of my rental houses is already worth two hundred grand. So, um, but the total portfolio has got to be somewhere worth somewhere in the neighborhood of $40,000 a month and $4 million in assets. Okay. Now, those are illiquid assets that you'd have to sell and there are costs associated with that, et cetera, and so forth, right? So, but what I'm after is the passive income stream. Yeah, definitely. So I'm trying to set a process in motion to pay for the principal with the passive income and, while, while I work my job. And just so just so we have just a little bit more background, 15 years is how much longer you have left to finish this goal. How long did it take you to get to where you are at right now? Like this didn't happen overnight or anything. No, no, no. I bought the first piece of rental property, the one that's worth 200000 Um, I bought it probably seven years ago, seven, eight years ago. Okay. And, um, it, you know, it wasn't worth 200000 then. And I definitely took a mortgage on it because I wasn't in a position to pay cash for that nice a property back then. But I got started because I knew I needed to get started. I got started without the plan that is in place. Now I did have a plan then yeah. it's just morphed. It's morphed and it's been altered. So, you know, specifics, Gabe, I like paying cash. I don't like debt. Okay. Okay. But I recognize that leverage is necessary. Sure. Leverage is necessary to m- speed you up. Time is our most precious asset. So I don't, really care to have a fortune that's not realized until my deathbed. Sure. Now it's nice to know that I'm going to leave my children and my children's children something. Right. Yeah. But, but is, it would be better if it was accessible before you died. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So, so I put a, t- I, I put a goal in place, a, a deadline. The deadline is the fact that, look, I've worked my face off right now. Mm-hmm. You know this. Very busy. Okay. So I've got two young kids, right? And pretty soon they're going to have lots of things that I need to be involved with. And real estate investing is going to be a vehicle that allows me to right size my commitment to my work, right? It's it's another form of leverage, Gabe. That's the consistent theme throughout the podcast, right? Sure. So real estate investing is basically like an employee. It's like a product that I sell. I've heard it said making your money work for you. You're you're putting your money to work. You're in essence putting your money to work. And whether that be leveraged with mortgage notes or leveraged through people and time and all that good stuff, real estate is going to make me a fortune. And I'm going to make sure that it makes me a fortune because it's what I know. Sure. It's what I know in my bones how to do. And I, make a living showing other people how to do it. Okay. I make a living taking care of real estate investments for people. I make a, you know, a living in this space. So rather than send my money to wall street for someone to tell me that they're doing a great job and define what that means, I can take control of it. Sure. All right, let's get, let's, let's get specific. Cause I really don't want this to be another episode of theory only. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So I've told you what my goal is. I haven't told you how I'm going to get there. Yeah. How do you execute? Okay. So right now I have 
like I said, a few pieces of property with mortgages, I have a few pieces of property without. As you can probably imagine, the positive cash flow on the ones without mortgages is greater than the ones with mortgages. Sure, that's a huge piece of overhead that you're that you're not having to worry about. Exactly. I don't have to pay I don't have to pay a bank back. So, what I do is I acquire property when cash is available with ca- with cash. I raise that amount of cash I have to play the game by flipping houses. So you have to do a little bit of both. Because, I mean, what you were talking about a minute ago with your long-term strategy is almost all the passive residual income where you have to flip, too. You don't have to. You don't, you don't ha- have to. You don't have to. It's active active versus passive income. Gabe, if you're uh, – I'll pick a high-paying job. If you're a uh, brain surgeon okay, and, and you make a million dollars a year. That'd be great. That's a lot of active income. No kidding. Okay? You – even the most lavish of lifestyles, you probably live on what two, three hundred grand a year. Yeah, you pay taxes. Okay, two, three hundred grand a year. You got two, three hundred grand left over, so you can buy in cash with active earnings two to three hundred thousand dollars worth of real estate a year in right. that scenario. Absolutely. Okay, but that's not everyone's scenario. That's not everyone's scenario. So if you have a high active income. You can use it to create passive income. And it makes sense to leverage your cash buying ability more often than taking out mortgages, obviously. Well, well does it make sense? I don't know. What's your it would goal? seem so. What's your risk? What's your tolerance for risk? Okay. So borrowing means you can buy more properties. Okay, so take that 200000 Gabe. 200000 um, in cash, 20% of a $100,000 house, which is a typical down payment. Is twenty thousand bucks right? So you can buy ten houses in one year. You can make down payments on ten houses in one year with two hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, assuming I mean, if I'm a brain surgeon, I can get approved for that kind of debt, also. Of course, of yeah. course, and I mean, yeah, presuming that you are good credit risk. Sure, I'm presuming because you make a million dollars a year that you are. Yeah, that you got pretty decent credit. I, I hope so. <laughs> I hope so. If not, you're in trouble. Ten houses, or you can pay cash for two. Okay. So in the end, what's going to be worth more? Two houses paid for or 10 houses paid for? It sounds like 10 houses with loans on it is going to turn over more than even the no overhead cash houses if I only have two. Eventually. Well, yeah, this is all over time. It's all over time. So, you know, there's an arbitrage to be had. Like, do you want to take a – but 10 houses is certainly more risky. Mm-hmm. It's more risky. You're dealing with 10 tenants, 10 foundations, 10 roofs, 10 furnaces, 10 windows. That's a good point. Okay. Risk is a to- risk tolerance is a thing that you have to consider. That's another thing along with, you know, goals that I can't speak to. I can't speak to your risk tolerance. Here's what mine is. I do a little bit of both because all things in moderation for me. Okay. I'm not the guy. I, I love Dave Ramsey. I prescribe to the baby steps. I don't believe necessarily in paying cash for all real estate. I believe in some smart leverage, partially because the government gives me a tax break on the interest I pay on real estate. Sure. Okay. So that's something to consider too. But in that scenario, I would probably pay cash for one and then five five by five with mortgages. If I was the brain surgeon, that would be my model. My model now is I raise my active income by flipping houses. So if I make thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars on a house, that goes in the kitty to make down payments or pay cash for real estate. Now, I'm specifically focusing, and this is going to be um, relevant to our market and not all markets, but it's available here. I can buy $50,000 rental houses here, okay? And $50,000 is a sum that I can accumulate 
rather effectively flipping homes and saving some active. And for people that aren't familiar with our market, what is the typical condition of a $50,000 rental home? What, what kind of house are you looking at? It depends on what area, but I can get them. I can, I can get those houses that are not terribly far from rental ready. These are three bed, one baths, two bed. Okay. Two bed one. I particularly like small homes near college campuses. I get the more, the more responsible student tenant is a, is, is a desirable thing for me. Um, you know, but I like any responsible tenant, you know, basically anybody that's qualified. Yeah. Tenants who pay their rent are the best kind. Exactly. Tenants who don't tear up your things and pay their rent. Yeah. What you want. So two bedroom house, 50,000, uh, 10, $15,000 worth of rehab all in 60,000, 65,000 rents for seven fifty, eight hundred a month. When you run the numbers on that game. The, the, uh, the credible, predictable rate of return okay. is going to be pretty solid. Like you're not going to find very many opportunities that yield as reliable a return as that. And so you're doing a calculation on your phone right now. I will show you at seven fifty a month. Okay. Times 12 is $9,000 per year. Okay. Okay. To adjust, I'm going to make a, what's called a, a an adjust. I'm going to make an adjustment. I'm going to use a factor. Okay. For, and for those Repair of you, this, costs, does, this what- doesn't wait, work really well over the air without a visual component, but it's pretty simple to understand that you're going to have some sort of expense. Sure. You're going to not collect this month's rent. You're going to have to replace an air water filter, heater. a water heater, a new doorknob, etc. I'm going to take and and those of you that are not willing or adept at property management, you're going to want to engage a property manager and that's going to cost you somewhere in the neighborhood of 5 to 10% of your gross rents. So, I'm going to take a vacancy, rent loss, maintenance and upkeep factor of 20%. Okay. Okay. So, you know, if you're not in a really risky market, 20% is good to look at. So, what you're saying is you're assuming that each month you're basically Pulling eighty percent on average of my gross rents. Yeah, yeah. Which is your seven fifty. Which is my seven fifty. So you take your seven fifty times twelve. It's nine thousand dollars. You multiply that or reduce it by twenty percent. Okay. So times Mul- about times point eight. Times point eight. Sorry, that's poor. You should multiply it, not times it. Sorry. Multiply it by point eight. Excuse I, me. I parroted you. <laughs> Seventy two hundred dollars annual. Okay. Okay. Seventy two hundred dollars annual divided into your acquisition cost, which is your purchase price plus your rehab. Of $65,000 is an 11% rate of return. Simple rate of return. If you're paying cash, that's all you need to know. Yeah. Okay. Now. So when we're talking about the cap rate, is is that where we are now? Make sure I'm tracking with you. Cap rate is a very simplified method of analyzing an investment. I would caution you to use more than cap rate to evaluate more sophisticated investments. But a rental house, very simple. Cap rate is usually you know, essentially net operating income divided by acquisition costs. Okay. Okay. So, which is basically what we just did. Except for we had we some costs. We estimated yeah. what your expenses would be, and we adjusted gross revenue to net operating income Yeah, with a factor. But it's a quick method of analysis. If you're a real estate, a novice real estate investor out there, and you walk up in front of a rental home, and you, it's been on the market 125 days, and you think it's a good opportunity. You think the seller will come down a little bit. Pop Zillow open on your on your iPhone or Android or whatever smartphone. I don't know. Are there, are there other kinds? I mean, the Google phone, whatever the, it is. The Google. The <laughs> Google. Anyway, see what 
is listed for rent in that area, make a, make an assessment, multiply it by 12, then multiply it by 0.8, and then divide it by what you think you can pay for it. And if that comes out in double digits, it's probably a fairly sound real estate investment. You're doing okay. Yeah. You're doing okay. Now, me personally, I like to be at 13%. And what was this example? 11? 11%. Okay. So not so too bad. If I can do a little better, I'm probably going to buy it. I have some other, you know, uh, tangential criteria as well, because in that sort of investment, in that price range, which I really, really like, I like that price range because I can raise cash quickly to pay it off or to buy it in cash. Yeah. But in that price range, I can recoup my cash in under five years. Yeah. Okay. So if all goes to plan, I can recoup my cash investment in five years. I am whole. The house is now, is now, if I paid cash for it, it's free. I've got all my money back. Somebody else paid for that investment for me. And in perpetuity, as long as I maintain it, okay, I have an income-producing asset. Okay. Now, if I finance it, I want to be able to pay off the mortgage in 10 years with positive cash flow. Without you throwing extra at it. Is that what you're saying? No, with throwing extra at it. Okay, okay. So so if the rent exceeds the mortgage payment in, a, in, a, in an amount such that if that were applied to the mortgage balance monthly, it would pay the note off in 10 years or less. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That that's an important distinction. And I don't want to get in the weeds too much here, but if I finance, I've got to be able to pay it off in 10 years with positive cash flow. If I pay cash, I got to be cash whole in five years. If it doesn't meet the 13% criteria, but it meets one of those, I'm in. Gotcha. Okay. So your minimum payment and then whatever you're making in positive cash flow, you're adding that on top. And then it's got to be a 10 years. I'm going to get really complicated. I don't add it on top. I just have to be able to add it on top. Okay. Okay. Now this is, you have to be able to, whether you actually do that or not, it's a calculation. It's not a practice. Okay. 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 So let me tell you what the practice is. The practical application of this is I stack up positive cash flow from my non-mortgage properties and my mortgage properties in the same account until such time that in that account, I have a balance of available to pay off one one note in full. Oh yeah, yeah. And then I write a check and I pay off the note. And what happens to my positive cash flow when when a when a mortgage goes away? Oh, it skyrockets, right? It skyrockets. And then the cash reserves build faster. Yep. And then I pay off another and one. And you could do it on another house. It's it's a takeoff on Dave Ramsey's debt cascade. Mm-hmm. If for for fans of of the show that are also fans of Dave Ramsey, the total money makeover talks about something called the debt cascade, in which Dave suggests you pay off your highest interest debt first until you pay it off completely. And then you recapture whatever the amount of that payment was and you apply it to the next highest interest debt. Right. And and which, which increases the amount of principal reduction you can get each month. And then you do it again and again and again until you're debt free. There you go. That's yeah. how you get out of debt with Dave Ramsey. This is how I get out of debt with real estate. Yeah. Okay. So if I've got to borrow money, you know, and, and I adjust, you know, if I want to acquire one more piece of property, well, maybe I'm not doing debt reduction that, that year or that month. Maybe, maybe I'm buying another property, which is going to further increase my cash flow. Right. Okay. So how am I going to get there? The, the mortgage cascade. Okay. And I'm going to flip property and I'm going to buy rental assets until they're not worth buying. Okay, if I get to a place where I can't get 13%, cash hole in 5 or mortgage paid off in 10, I'm going to keep I'm, I buy everything I see that meets those criteria. 
Because if it's a, if for you, I guess that's a sure thing. If you see it and it meets those criteria, is there any other risk that, that you have to factor in or is that pretty much all there is to it? No, there's a lot of risk. Now, there's a lot of, a lot of other risk. And, and for our listeners, this may sound very simple. Okay. But remember, I, I'm a professional with a life, a life full of experience. Right. I own a property management company and a real estate company that provides me with fresh leads and new opportunities and good people that spend their entire days managing rental property. Okay. So your risk is your time spent. Your risk is being able to weather an empty unit. Your risk is having someone tear up the house that you just put $25,000 into renovating. Mm, yeah. And you have no recourse other than small claims court and the person has nothing to begin with. So what are you going to get in a small claim suit? It's like getting hit in a car accident with someone that doesn't have insurance. Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, there are other contingencies that should be met and I'm not speaking to those contingencies and where I am, but if I didn't have the history and the experience and then, you know, the financial wherewithal to be able to weather the storm, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't play. The game is not for you. A, a um, very smart man in real estate coaching by the name of Brian Buffini. Uh, we don't uh, we don't coach with Brian Buffini, but I've been through some of his programs. Talked about the relationship between stability, success, and significance. Okay. Okay. As a member of my team, you've heard this before. Oh yeah, yeah, I'm very familiar. Stability is your monthly bills. It's putting food on the table for your kids to eat. Okay. It's paying school tuition and daycare and health insurance. Keeping the lights on. Yeah. Keeping the lights on. Right. If you're not in, if you're not past stability, you don't need to be investing in anything. Your focus needs to be on filling that bowl first. Exactly. And, and the bowl that Gabe's talking about visually, if you can imagine three uh, bowls, one sitting inside another, the largest being at the bottom, the smallest being at the top. If you were to pour water, into the small bowl at the top, which, which represents your resources. Yeah. That would be stability and it fills up the fastest because it's the easiest to obtain. But if you keep investing in stability, it's going to eventually overflow. overflow and fill up the bowl of success and furthermore significance. I would put real estate investing in the realm of success, which basically means you need to have a home. You need to have, Utilities, a stable job, provide for your children, have your basic health and needs and welfare cared for, and have a rainy day fund set aside in case something unforeseen happens before you go and invest in real estate. Yeah. And especially in a big way. In a big, big way. But but you can also achieve a small amount of success and then take a step forward into real estate investing and get your feet wet. There's nothing like context. And I think that's what you had in mind going back to what we said at the beginning. For me and my wife at the beginning, we were still filling the stability bowl, but by buying our first house in such a way that it would position us to make moves on it in the future, that would have nece not necessarily been overreaching at that point. That would have been like setting us up for the success bowl later on, right? So so what you don't realize, and I didn't object. You no, you let, you let us do what we were going to do. I let you do what you were going to do. Yeah. And what I saw that you didn't see was that, and you could sell your house at a profit right now, a fairly substantial one, I would imagine. A little bit. Uh, I think you're being modest. The market was ripe for increase in the area that Gabe purchased. Right. Okay. He got a nice home that is very desirable in an area that is ripe for increase. So Gabe could sell his home after two years 
and buy another personal residence and pay no tax on the game. True. That's another tax benefit. Um, we'll probably leave taxes, you know, write-offs and things like that to real estate 401, investing 401. <laughs> but suffice it to say, there are other things that shade, okay, on the positive versus negative side. Definitely. Well, and just before we finish up today, you just strolled into the territory of, of my last question here. We talked a lot about rentals. We talked a lot about long-term strategy for you. Are there any specific strategies or other things that you're thinking about when you're buying a property, when you know you're not going to own it this time next year? You know, you know that you're about to turn it over right away. That's very different from buying a rental property. So do you approach it in any kind of specific way that's worth mentioning? Yeah. I mean, I think that that requires more of an open mind. So if I'm, if I'm long-term, if I'm committed long-term to a piece of property, I want it to suit me and my needs, not necessarily my needs for living in, but my needs as an investor, Yeah, my needs as risk or loss mitigation. If I'm buying a house to flip and I recognize that not everyone sees things just exactly the way I do, not everyone views potential pitfalls the same way I do, there may be. I don't I, I, give me an example. I don't know a pond in the backyard and people, some people don't like having a pond in the backyard, but you know what? Some people just don't care. Sure. Like I personally don't like that. Uh, you know, my, my risk bells are, are going off from an investor that's going to hold that. Cause I'm wondering when is somebody going to fall face down in that pond and they're going <laughs> to sue me right. for having a pond in the backyard, you know, even a koi pond, but some people don't care. Some people like it. It, it doesn't have to be my, idea of what is beneficial as long as someone holds what the property is as special as desirable. It's not a huge risk factor when you're not thinking about holding it for 10 years. No, absolutely. But you better believe when I'm buying that property with the pond in the backyard, I'm considering the cost of filling it in in case I have to, in case I have to hold it as a rental asset. Yeah. Call an audible and switch. Yeah, for sure. That makes sense. Well, like you said, 401, I think we're going to I think we're going to continue this trend and kind of revisit some more strategies in the future. We might talk about flipping a little bit more since we talked a lot about rentals today. But we're going to have to close it out there. If you have more questions about this, remember you can go to www.resourcepodcast.net on the website when you click on the episodes tab, you'll see this episode and beneath it we're going to spell out that that equation that we talked about figuring out these rates. If you're not an auditory learner and you didn't exactly pick up on it, don't worry. It's going to be spelled out there where you can start using it right away. Absolutely, guys. And we want to thank you for tuning in. Real estate investing is near and dear to our heart. So if you have questions, reach out to us. Any of the channels we have, we also want to encourage you to go to iTunes, hit subscribe, leave us a review, check us out on you know Stitcher or SoundCloud social media. We're on all the major channels. Please find us, engage with us, you know, feel free to go onto our website and, you know, request, you know, to be a part of our email list to find out when new episodes air. We are really intent on bringing you great content. And like I said, real estate investing is big. And I really think it's an underserved segment of the real estate industry for professionals you know, you can always focus on selling another house, but what you should be doing is focusing on how to buy another one. You know, your retirement is coming. The day that you realize there is no pension for real estate professionals is coming. Build for your future. Consider real estate investing as a thing and reach out if you have questions. You nailed it right there. I think it's important to remember that real estate professionals too sometimes need a look behind the curtain for real estate, not just people that are on the outside. And with that in mind, when we come back next time, we've got a guest lined up that's going to do just that for us. Give a look behind the curtain of the real estate industry 
for people in the real estate industry for stuff they might not have thought about as far as implementing new and upcoming technologies in their business. Mind-blowing stuff, guys. We're going to get real, real granular on on tech. Next time we're back, don't miss it. Uh, If you're curious about who our guests will be, head over to the website. There might be a little bit of a hint there, too. So we'll see you next time. That's it for today. This has been Resource Real Talk about real estate. See you next time. 